Well, good morning, folks. It's great to be with you again. I've been looking forward to today. Thank you so much again for your invitation to be uh, with you. I know that we've been looking at a prophet uh, from the Old Testament. We're going to keep going. Does anybody remember what prophet we've been looking at? <coughs> no. <laughs> this is really discouraging. <laughs> Elisha. Elisha. It's easy to get mixed up between the two, isn't it? Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 8 down to the end of um, verse 37. It's a really interesting passage entitled The Shunammite Son Restored to Life. And there's all sorts of interesting things that we can learn from this passage. So let's just read it together. One day, Elisha went to Shem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day, one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, Tell her, You have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, said he said to his father, his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. And after the sermon, servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called to her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today? He asked. Is it not the new moon? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She sat on the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? 
everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said. Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak in your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there, there was the boy lying on his couch. He went in, shut the door, and the two of them prayed to the Lord. Then he got in the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And as he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got onto the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. What an extraordinary passage of scripture that is. Well, maybe there's some stuff for us to learn. So let's just have a very quick little prayer. Father, we thank you so much that your word is from your heart to ours. And we want to pray that in your mercy, you'd help us to understand what it is you want us to learn today. We pray that you'd make the word come alive for us. That's our prayer. And we ask it. In the precious and the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to have just a kind of a little wander through this passage and maybe pick up on some things that uh, I hope will be helpful. I, I want to say first off that being a, a parent is both a wonderful privilege and an awesome responsibility, isn't it? It's a huge responsibility. We, we know that without uh, Christianity, without Christian education, without us pouring teachings about Jesus into the lives of our children. If we don't do that, we're simply raising pagans. And that's not what we're called to do. And sometimes our children naturally love the things that we love, whether it's writing or reading or films or photography. They tend to very often like the things that their parents like. We know, don't we, that it's our heart's desire that our children come to know God, love him, and to experience his life. We know that God has no grandchildren, only children. We know that each of us needs to come to Christ. We know that a home where Christ is loved is the very best place for children to grow up in. And yet children are very skilled at discerning what we might call religious hypocrisy. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some folks 
who on a Sunday morning they put on their go-to-meeting face. They maybe drive to church and there's one parking space left outside and oh, they're going to get there before the other old ladies coming in. Oh, we're going to get in there first. And, and then they'll get out of the car and they'll <laughs> shout at the kids, come on! And they'll go to the church. They'll put on their go-to-meeting face. Good morning, it's lovely to see you. How are you? You're looking so well. And then after the service, cheerio, lovely to see you. See you next week. And out they go into the car. And, God, what a, that was an awful long sermon, wasn't it? Do you think you could have done a bit better than that? Oh, so we have roast preacher on the menu for lunch, you know. A bit tasty. And, and, and children kind of pick up on that. They pick up on religious hypocrisy and are damaged by it. And those of us who are parents have reason to be encouraged because we're not alone. God has raised up special people with ministries to love and care for children who are spiritually dead. So it's really important to pray for the children's ministry in the church because they do a work that is really significant and important. Well, we come now to an amazing story in the life of the prophet Elisha. We're introduced to a couple who are materially rather well off. They're what we might describe as affluent and well-to-do. They've, they've got just about everything they need to live in comfort. That said, the one thing they didn't have was a family. They didn't have a family. The husband in the story is very much in the background. He's considerably older than his wife, but it seems likely, as we read the story carefully, that he had no relationship with God and maybe not much of a regard for God, as we shall see. But the text reveals to us some interesting information about the lady, and then we'll go on and we'll see some of the qualities and attitudes in the prophet Elisha. The first thing we notice about the lady is that she had a love for God. Look at verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunem and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Well, this tells us two things. It tells us, first of all, that Elisha was really quite sociable. He was socially inclined. And then it tells us that uh, this lady had a heart to offer warm hospitality. And this warm hospitality surely welcomed both God's messenger and God's message. The two things very important. At least the lady was enthusiastic towards God's word, which Elisha brought. Now we know that God's word is powerful, it brings life and it changes lives in families. Paul wrote to Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now we've already said that God has no grandchildren, but what was going on here? Well, the faith was planted in the heart by, by uh, the grandmother Lois. She planted the faith in, in Eunice, and Eunice, the faith.
faith blossomed and grew and she had a relationship with Jesus. And then that faith was passed on to Timothy and planted in him and it grew. And in chapter 3, 2 Timothy, Paul says, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the Holy Scriptures are key. And here you have parents pouring the Scriptures, the Word of God, into the lives of their children. And lots of children learn about God from their mums. It's not that they don't learn about God from their dads. It's just that dads very often tend to be out of work. Now, I know that today mums are out of work as well. But certainly when I was growing up, mums spent more time with their children than their dads. One pastor was asked which version of the Bible did he use? Was it the NIV, the Northern Irish version, because it's in simple English? Or was it the authorised version or the RSV or the New King James? And he said no. No, he said, I like the MMV. People said, what, what, what version is that? The MMV? I've never heard of that version. And he said, well, it was, it's actually, it's my mother's version because she translated it into her life. And I first came to see that it was true by watching her. Isn't that powerful? That's powerful. <laughs> the MMV. So we see in this lady a very real love for God. And then secondly, we see that this love was practically expressed. It was expressed in really practical ways. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. And he can stay there whenever he comes to us. <coughs> That's what I call real hospitality. And I find it really interesting that she consulted with her husband seeking his agreement. Clearly out of respect for him. She respected him. We see that in the way that she spoke of him and to him. Now he might not have shared her faith, we're not sure, but he was fully in the loop regarding her faith, her friends, and her activities. I think she was a good hostess who went out of her way to make the prophet feel very much at home in this newly well-furnished guest room. Now, we read, don't we, in Hebrews 13, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. So we're supposed to be given to hospitality because you never know when an angel is going to come into your home. And an angel is just simply a messenger of God. Now I know that she was blessed. She was a blessing to Elisha, but Elisha was also a great blessing to her. And I have to tell you that over the ministry years that, that I've had, we've had many folks in our homes. And they've been a real blessing to not only to my wife and I, but to our children. I can remember we had Derek Prime. Do you, you probably know who Derek Prime was? Derek was over with us and my wife used to uh, make up a bed for him so he could go to bed in the afternoons because he was, he was even older than me. And he used to like to have a little rest in the afternoon. Well, I can remember uh, just before the evening service, 
and down, and we were having a little prayer at the table, and my, I think it was my youngest son, who was maybe only seven or eight, when we were having little prayer time, he, he prayed for Mr. Prime, and that God would bless him and make him a blessing in the evening service, and I tell you, that really thrilled our hearts, and it didn't have thrilled Derek's eyes as well, that this little seven-year-old was praying for him. So th this love for God was practically expressed, and we also see in her life contentment and not resentment. And one day when Elisha was enjoying the hospitality, he spoke to his hostess through his servant Gehazi. Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us, now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army. So Elisha was offering to use his influence and, and her response to that request was really unusual. She responded by saying, oops, and we're not going on, abracadabra, can you bring me on just one? <coughs> oh yes, she replied, I have a home among my own people. <coughs> well, I find that response unusual, but what she was really saying is, look, I have everything that uh, I, I, I want. Uh, she knew she was well off, she had a husband, she had a home, she had a new extension on the home, she had a good income, she had a full larder, and we know that she had no child, and we know that in that that was really significant in her culture because that would mean the end of the family line. And yet, interestingly enough, she didn't complain about it. She made no complaint. Do you know, it's a good thing to cultivate joy by focusing on what we have rather than grumping and humping about what we don't have. It's good to us, it's good for us to focus and give thanks on what we have rather than concentrate on what we don't have. Now, I'm sure that she had a very deep longing for a child, but she never allowed it to emerge in envy, resentment, or in jealousy. Now, God knows our hearts, and he knows all about our secret longings, the things that we maybe long for and don't tell other people about. He knows all about them, and he's, he's working his purposes out. Well, Elisha said to her, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant to the man of God. Her husband was really old, and she'd probably given up hope of ever having a child. Well, time passed, uh, and she had a son. And the son grew up. We, we don't know how, uh, how, many, how many days or months, years even passed uh, of the child's life, but the child was able to speak. And then we see, nextly, a mother's love. And the promised child grew up, and one day tragedy struck, and as I've said, the child was old enough to speak, and he said, my head, my head, he said to his father. His father told a servant to carry him to his mother. Isn't that the advice that dads just about always give to their children? Go on, son, go and ask your mom. Isn't that right? I remember a, a Father's Day card that I got from my kids, and it said, Dear Dad, thank you for all the wise advice you've given over the years. And I opened it up and the wise advice was, son, go ask your mom. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that right? Well, this, this, this father said to the servant, carry him to 
his mother. We're not told what the problem was, but, but the text goes on to tell us that after his, the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat in her lap until noon, and then the boy died. How tragic that was, the child died. Now, I know that for some folks, the word father isn't a good word. I can remember preaching uh, through the Lord's Prayer uh, in, in Finley and um, the first service, the first Sunday, I just took the words, Our Father. And uh, after the ser sermon, a man came to me and he said, when you say Our Father, I think of my father, and he was an angry man with a big leather belt and he used to belt me and the buckle used to hurt me. And I had to preach the next Sunday on the same text and explain that our Heavenly Father is not quite like our earthly fathers. He's so much better than any earthly father ever could be. So fathers sometimes hear that we don't get it right. And we need to, we need to recognize that. And we need to be very thoughtful and careful way in which we deal with our children. Uh, some parents give their children everything except themselves. And our children need us. They don't need all the things that we sometimes give them. Stephen Alford said, when hugging and kissing end in any home, trouble is very often on the way. And surely this lady's heart was breaking. And yet we clearly see the outworking of her faith. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and then shut the door and went out. She, she demonstrated her faith. It says she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly in return. Why go to him today? So you kind of wonder what planet did the father live on? There his son had just died. And the, the, the mother wanted to go to the man of God, but the father, well, why do you want to do that? He, he didn't, it didn't seem to make sense to him. Perhaps he'd given up hope. Why go to the prophet? But this mother had faith. And we know what faith is, don't we? Hebrews 12 tells us whoops we go back one I think can we go back one yeah faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see so we know what faith is and the possibility of help entered her heart by the Holy Spirit you see she knew that the man of God had made this prophecy that she was going to have a child and now that it had all gone wrong she thought, well, I've got to go back to the man of God because he's got influence that I don't have. And, and what if he's able to pray and that my son can come back to life again? It was about seven miles to Mount Carmel, but what did that matter? Her child needed help. And so she set out. And the prophet Elisha saw her coming, and so he sent Gehazi to, to, to meet her. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God 
said. Now, just think about it for a moment. This woman, she came to the prophet and she grabbed hold of his feet and Gehazi came over and he started to, to push her away. He wanted to push her away from the prophet. Uh, and the prophet said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and, hasn't she, and has not told me why. And in verse 28, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Now she had hope in her heart and she clung to the belief that the prophet could raise the child to life. That was her belief. You know, John and Charles Wesley had a mother called Sarah and she had 17 children. Love a lot, isn't it? And every day she prayed for her children. She spoke intimately and directly to each one concerning their spiritual condition. And she urged upon all of them the necessity to genuinely repent, to go through a conversion experience and to have faith. And Wesley said of her, I learned more of Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians of England. Wonderful thing to be able to say that about, about her mother, isn't it? Well, this woman, she wasn't planning for a funeral. She was planning for a resurrection. And when we pray for our children, we must do so with expectancy. So what a lady this lady was. Now, we pointed out at the very beginning of this little study that God raises up people and gives them special ministries with children and young people. And we know that children, even the angelic ones, are actually spiritually dead without Jesus. So perhaps this child had a problem and it wasn't just in his head. The problem wasn't just an intellectual difficulty. You see, children need more than a good education. What children need is regeneration. They need to be born again. They need to come to know Jesus. And this mother laid her dead son on the prophet's bed and the child needed to be touched by God through his anointed prophet. And our children, without exception, need a touch from God. And as we do, we need a touch from God. And God used Elisha, but interestingly enough, God did not use Elisha's servant, Gehazi. Why was that? Well, their attitudes were really very different. And I want to look with you briefly at their attitudes because I think the attitude that we see in Elisha ought to be an attitude that's evident in our lives too if God is ever going to use us as his messenger through whom he touches the lives of others. So the first thing we notice about Elisha was that he was genuinely concerned, and I think we need to be genuinely concerned as well. Look at what, what it says there. She set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in, a, in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. 
Now, Elisha the prophet was genuinely concerned. He wanted to know, and there was a degree of urgency here because he said to his servant, run. He didn't say, wander off to find out. He said, run, there's a, an element of urgency here. He wants to know. Now, I'm not sure how Gehazi spoke to the woman. I'm not sure how he asked the questions and what tone of voice he used. What we do know is this, the distressed woman would not open her aching heart to him. Now, some people are a bit like that, aren't they? There's something about them which puts us off opening up and talking about the big issues in our lives. Do you come across that? Children are often very adept at reading people and measuring the genuineness of interest and concern. Have you ever met somebody who's greeted you and said, oh, how are you? And then immediately gone on to talk about something else. And the message they broadcast is, I'm asking you how you are because that's what you do, but don't tell me because I don't really want to know. Have you ever had that? Of course you have. We've all had it, haven't we? Uh, we're not to be like that. You see, children know. They can pick up on that. And we have to let the children know that they matter. And whenever we did a dedication in Finlay of a new baby, we always used to build in three elements into that. First of all, we wanted to dedicate the parents because they had hands-on responsibility to apply the hand of education to the seat of learning occasionally and just raise the children up. Then we would dedicate the child because that's what you do. But the third thing we used to do was to dedicate ourselves as a, as a congregation because we wanted the children to see something of the reality of Christ in our lives. Especially when little Henry was being a horror and making a big ruckus and a racket, and instead of gritting our teeth and drop kicking him out the door, we, we have to, at those moments, remember that we promised to show something of the love of Jesus to little horrible Henry. That's that's the bottom line. That's what I hope there's no church called Henry. But you 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 understand you understand where we're going with that one. Then the second thing we received from the prophet Elisha was that he was real. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Now, I think Elisha was warm and approachable. And this distraught woman in her distress grabbed hold of his feet. And Elisha immediately discerns the seriousness of the situation. He felt her pain. But Gehazi, the servant, is totally unmoved by this unusual display of emotion. Actually, he thought it was inappropriate. So he went over to push her away. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. But the prophet didn't respond like that. His attitude was totally different. He knew she was in distress and he wanted to help her. That was what his heart was telling him. I can remember quite a number of years ago, 
a very dear lady that, that was a, I was at college with her husband. Uh, she's now with the Lord, but she went to a prayer meeting. And at the prayer meeting, she was praying for some folks who didn't know Jesus. And she broke down and she started to weep. Now you will know, don't you, that Psalm 56 tells us that he puts our tears in his pocket because they matter to him. But you know, the pastor of the church came over to her after the prayer meeting and said, please don't, don't just don't get emotional. Not, not the place for it, prayer meeting. How awful that was. If you can't get emotional at that prayer meeting, where can you get emotional? That was, that was a real shame. And then I was preaching at a church anniversary of a, of a little church in Suffolk many years ago. And the pastor of the church, he'd not been there too many years. He was a very young man. It was a very strict and old traditional church. And you know, about a month or two later, they drove him out of the church and he had to leave. And you know why? Because he moved the communion table. He moved it. And that was a huge big sin. Moving the communion table. Do you know you don't find communion tables in the Bible? The Bible doesn't give us any instructions about communion table other than we, you know, view that Pope communion as holy. But they were so wedded to their tradition that they they couldn't they couldn't cope with it. So let me tell you that plastic piety misses the point totally. And it's a turn off to youngsters. I, when I came to faith, I joined a little assembly, a little gospel hall in, in Bray. And we were small in number, but then in his mercy, after a couple of years, it all seemed to just do a work. And, and we only could seat 125 in this little hall. And we were bursting at the seams. We probably had about 126 folks coming. And there were some folks, and they used to come in their dark suits and their white shirts and dark ties. And, and some of the new folks came in and they were wearing jeans. Now maybe they were their best jeans. I don't know. Maybe they were their only jeans. But I can remember one man telling me that he came to church to worship Jesus. And as he walked in, there was a man wearing a very smart suit sitting in the front in the attitude of prayer, which is an expression that we sometimes like to use. And he put his hand on his shoulder to say hello. And the fellow turned and looked at him with such a lot of disapproval that that fellow felt he couldn't come back. Isn't that sad? So when people come in and look at us, what they need to see is something of the love and the loveliness of Jesus. And not all the other stuff. Not all the other stuff. So we see the love for God in, in, in the life attitude of Elisha. We see a, a kind of a, a real reality or genuineness in him. And then the, the recommendation is that we should be wholehearted. You see, Elisha learned of the child's death and he sent Gehazi ahead to lay his staff on the boy's face. And Gehazi carried out his instructions and when nothing happens, he goes back to Elisha and he says, the boy has not awakened. There's no hint of disappointment, nothing. And we read several times in the New Testament that Jesus was moved to compassion. 
That's a really interesting expression. In fact, the authorised version talks about the bowels of mercy. What on earth is that all about? Well, please understand that they used to believe that the seat of the emotions was in your stomach. So if you got bad news, it was like a punch in the stomach, in the guts. You, you, you'll relate to that. That's where you really feel it if, if something really bad happens. Well, there was no sense in which Gehazi had any kind of compassion. But Elisha had compassion. And unless you and I feel compassion like that, we won't really care. And we need to care. We need to care. And Elisha feels that compassion. Look at verse 33. He went in and he shut the drawer on the two of them and he prayed to the Lord. He wants to find out God's plan. He wasn't afraid to do the unusual. Look at verse 34. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. You see, he didn't just give the truth. He didn't just pass on the truth. He gave of himself. Elisha himself had to make the journey to raise the boy. And verse 34 is a rather beautiful illustration of the effort and love it takes to win a soul. For Elisha, as it were, died as he prayed for the boy. Children must not only hear the truth that we preach, they must sense and feel the warmth of our hearts towards them. That's really important. And then the third or the fourth and the final thing is, is in terms of our attitude is just to be ourselves. The boy's body grew warm. And look at verse 35. Elisha turned away, walked back and forth in the room, and then he got on the bed and he stretched out upon him one more time. Elisha persevered, and that's what we have to do. We have to persevere. We have to keep going, even when it seems as though there's nothing happening. We have to persevere. And how interesting that Elisha broke all sorts of unwritten rules, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, face to face. We must make contact in whatever way we can, perhaps through humour, sense of fun, giving our time, caring, openness. I sometimes look back and I think of the folks who God used to reach me. I was a bit of a rascal. I used to turn, turn up at all sorts of odd times to see if they would welcome me as much as they did when they were expecting me. They even turned up at meal times, and thinking, what are they going to do? But they just loved me and shared what they had. And in fact, I confess to my shame that I even rang them at midnight one night with a daft question, just to see what their reaction would be. But they loved me, even when it was inconvenient. So think back, think of the qualities that impacted you in the lives of those who shared Jesus with you and pray that the Lord would grow those in your own life. It may not be very dignified to do some of those things, but they are essential and understand that God works through people.
life is imparted to a child, not through a stick, not even through a hand of discipline, but through a person. So don't merely give children the truth. Give them yourselves. That's what they need. And the result is very beautiful. Look at verse 35. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Sneezing is a sign of life. The, the child was alive. Don't you think his life has changed from there on in because of his experience? I think so. Don't you think the life that his mother was changed because of the experience? I think so. What a lovely lady she was. But how marvelous it was that God used Elisha. How marvelous to see the attitudes that were in so evident in his life. And it's a good thing to pray that those attitudes might be evident in our lives too. I don't know all of you, but it may be that there's somebody here and you don't know Jesus. And you've probably been challenged about it many, many, many times. A really sad thing about that is that the Lord Jesus stands today with his arms open wide, just ready to embrace whoever comes to him. If you've never met him, you'll never know what you're missing. Taste and see, the Bible says, that the Lord is good, and he is good. Not some other time, but all the time. I've gone on for too long, so let me pray. Thank you so much, Father, for what we are able to learn as we look at, at your word together. We thank you for Elisha. We thank you for the way in which he sought to serve you. And we pray for the practical lessons that we can learn from his, uh, from your precious word. And we just would ask, oh Lord, that whatever it is you want us to remember, that we might be helped by the Holy Spirit to remember it. And we pray that it might be knocked from our heads down.